The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. Jesus instructed the twelve as follows. Do not be afraid. For everything that is now covered will be uncovered. And everything now hidden will be made clear. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the daylight. What you hear in whispers, proclaim from the housetops. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Fear him, rather, who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Can you not buy two sparrows for a penny? And yet not one falls to the ground without your father knowing. Why? Every hair on your head has been counted. So there is no need to be afraid. You are worth more than hundreds of sparrows. So if anyone declares himself for me in the presence of men, I will declare myself for him in the presence of my Father in heaven. But the one who disowns me in the presence of men, I will disown in the presence of my Father in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. As I was sitting with the readings, I was thinking on the weeks that have just passed, and in particular the week we just shared with um, the clergy and and some of the people in education and Catholic care in Rockhampton. We had a week of in-service. We were privileged to be visited by a Boston theologian, a very uh, studied man named Father Richard Lenan. And he was speaking to us about ecclesiology, the theology of the church, and its mission and all of our responsibility in it. And all of that taking place in an age uh, of synodality, this, this move that the church has very intentionally tried to make. And it's been a confusing move in a way. It's sort of a disorienting step into the dark. And there's always positive and negative in stepping into the dark, isn't there? Because you don't know what you're going to stand on, um, which is why it's an act of faith. Anyway, I, I think it's an interesting time in the church. We've heard many people say that. We would say it ourselves. It's interesting insofar as each of us are interested, like whether or not we care about the church and its presence in the world. That makes it interesting. Um, if it doesn't interest us, then obviously the church itself is not of much interest to us. But I was thinking, um, every age probably feels this way about their their time and place and themselves as church in that time and place. Every age probably thinks, well, this is an interesting time. It's a difficult time. It's a challenging and a confusing time. I remember when we were in the seminary, one of the formators uh, read a passage for us. He said, gentlemen, I'm going to read this passage. Listen closely. And it said a whole lot of the things that we would typically hear. Oh, I think it was from a priest to his, um, his confreres or from a bishop to his priest or something. And it said, um, you know, the faith is declining. People aren't practicing. And even if they practice in the church, they're not practicing it out in the world. And the youth are rebellious and they don't know their, their faith and etc., uh, etc. Et it went on and on. Um, and he said that was written in the year, you know, 1285 or something. <laughs> so it's like... It's the same human heart that we've been dragging along the whole way. You know what I mean? Um, The same interesting thing that God has given us to work with. It's a complex device, this heart of ours. But this is what we've got to employ for the mission. 
And for some reason, God seems to love this heart of ours. He's made it for himself. The long and short of what I, what I want to say today is that the church is always in a kind of a mess. We have a whole lot of theological abstract language to describe the church. We, we know it is the body of Christ. We know it's the lumen gentium, the light of the world, which means we have something privileged that the world does not have. And without us, the world would be infinitely worse off, even if the culture doesn't know it. This is the fact. The old documents talk about the church as a perfect society, which again is an abstract sort of theological description. Don't think it is the church saying, oh, we have no flaws, we have no sinners in here. Obviously, that's not the declaration of the church. The church is simultaneously the one holy Catholic apostolic body that Christ brought into the world, which is his own body. And then it's us, innumerable people with our unique frailties and idiosyncrasies. Uh, it's such a mystery that God would prefer to collaborate in the literal sense, to work with all of us, rather than to micromanage every single decision that we make. God prefers us not to just make a mess of things on purpose, not to be lackadaisical about it, but to genuinely step out in faith. In a way, this is the big learning that I took away from the days of formation, that no matter how pragmatic we become, no matter how many policies we write for ourselves and in dialogue with the world, you know, networking with all these different uh, sources of information and, and um, power, in the end, our very, very, very best efforts are always frail human efforts, which means they're never enough. Does that discontent us? Does that make it all seem hopeless? Well, why do we bother? No. This isn't the life of faith. The life of faith is one where we employ the very, very best of our thinking, the very, very best of our work and efforts, the very best of our honed gifts and talents, the very purity of our insights that we each have had, which we have. Um, we gather them and in faith we draw them together and we press them as high as we can and then we beg Lord is this your will come Holy Spirit elevate our best efforts because without you we collapse back into dust we're beloved dust but we're dust nonetheless dust that God has desired to collaborate with there's something deeply Trinitarian about this I want to leave us with with one image and then I want to close with the words of that psalm again. But think, think on this for a second. Because this is synodality at its best. I'll confess that um, all, the, all the talk about synodality, to some degree it sounds, it starts to sort of become this confusing thing. It's like, well, what, what is the church even talking about here? You know, like what, what do they want us to do? What are we meant to do? Buzzwords are always and irritation for us. We hear them too often and they make less and less sense the more we hear them. But synodality in its best, I think, at its best, struck me over the week just gone. Because it's, 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 the, it's the overlapping of everything that we can do to the best degree, subordinated to the will of God, which we never 
Like we can never put God in a box. It's always a humble submission. God, this is the best we can do. Does it please you? God, this is what we're thinking. Is it what you're thinking? Is it what you want us to think? And God never gives us a kind of tick. He says, follow me. Follow me. It's always relationship. Which is disconcerting only if we don't know God. Only if we're not, in fact, pursuing foremostly relationship with God. The church can never collapse into a kind of mega structure that's all about its policy, all about its, even, even all about its theology. It's a body bound to God in relationship and love. Which means if we want to step forward in this somewhat confusing era marked by synodality, we're going to have to die to know him. And I mean that literally. Just eagerly, eagerly seek to know his mind and his heart with our clouded minds, with our fragile hearts. Can I invite us to close our eyes for, for a moment? And I just want to read again those words from the psalm. This is my prayer to you, my prayer for your favour. In your great love, answer me, O God, with your help that never fails. Lord, answer, for your love, which we have come to know, friends, is kind. In compassion, turn towards me. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. Help us truly to know and to love and to serve the Father in faith and in love.